Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. good portion of scripture, isn't it? And there's obviously a lot of different things that I could go into this morning from that, but I'm trusting that you have done your own homework, and I'm actually only going to focus on four small verses today. And I'm going to pick up on uh, something that may not be the most popular thing to speak about in the current culture, but I want us to remember that as Paul speaks to the Colossians, he tells them in verse 1 to, that since you have been raised to your new life with Christ, you should set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And so as we approach the word of God, we want to come with a perspective looking at him, not just looking at what's happening around us yeah now, let me tell you a story there was a guy and i'm i won't tell you the part of it but there was a guy who went on a trip over to japan and um he was staying in a hotel in japan for a week and um he was getting used to all of the incredible different appliances and different things that were in this japanese hotel and anyway when he was going for a shower he found this long-handled back scratcher pronged thing with with a couple of prongs like a fork and um, he grabbed this back scratcher and he started scratching his back with it and he was like this is the most incredible back scratcher I have ever experienced and so he took it out of the shower and he took it with him everywhere he went when he was watching some Japanese TV, he would use this back scratcher. When he went to bed, he would use this back scratcher. And he became quite fond of this back scratcher. Anyway, he got to a point where he's about to leave Japan and he thought, you know what, this has revolutionized my life, this back scratcher. And I might just take it home back to Australia so that I can get a patent for it and release my own series of back scratchers. So he dug to the bottom of his suitcase and put this uh, back scratcher at the bottom of his suitcase. And he was hoping that when he checked out, that no one would notice. He starts to check out at reception. And um, they do what they typically do in checking the room before he can leave. And so she calls through to the cleaning and the cleaning is, they're having this little bit of a conversation and he's getting a little bit nervous like, oh no, they realize I've taken the back scratcher. And she, he, he's like, is there any issues? And she's like, no, no, the, all the, the bar is still there. All of those different things are still there. There's, there's no real issue. The, the, the room's been really clean. The thing is, the cleaner can't find the toilet brush. <laughs> so there might be a mistake. You know, if we use something without understanding its original design then we are at risk of either misusing it, abusing it, or creating our own use for it. I want to speak into the idea of family this morning. And particularly what we see here in Paul's letter to a church in instructing and uh, speaking into this whole understanding of family. 
Now, I said before that it's not necessarily a popular topic at this point in time. And we do tend to see, uh, particularly in the West, that we like to have preaching that is super inspirational, but not necessarily too instructive. And so we have lots of inspired Christians that actually lack depth and instruction. So it is important for us to preach the whole counsel of God, not just the, the parts that would inspire us, but the context and uh, those that would ground us and keep us in, in that safe place of blessing with God. And um, one of those things that we probably have abdicated responsibility within the church of speaking into is the idea of marriage, family, and parenthood. We may have set that out to a weekend uh, weekend res- conference or a weekend thing rather than being an ongoing teaching as part of who we are as a Christian people. And so when Paul speaks to the Colossians, we need to give preface to what he says in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21 by the preceding verses. And so he speaks about this new life that we have in Christ Jesus and how all of us, regardless of our status, regardless of our relationships, we are to put to death those sinful and earthly things that are lurking within us. Everyone, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, regardless of whether you are a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, everyone is to do this. And we are all called then to clothe ourselves with humility and gentleness, with love. Just everyone. And so he's building into this. And you'll see the progression in Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2, where we're talking a lot about um, the theology behind who Jesus is and um, watching out for other doctrines that may slip into the church. And then in in chapters 3 and 4, we start to see these instructions on how we actually live in in, in light of what has been spoken in 1 and 2. And we see in the progression of Colossians chapter 3 that it begins with keeping your eyes fixed upon the realities of heaven. So looking to his culture first and allowing that to be our guiding point. Because in this time in Colossae there was a family unit which was made up probably of the Roman structure. And so when he's speaking about the, the, the unit of the family, they, they understood what that looked like. They had a, a concept in their culture of what family was. I would say we do too today. But where does that concept come from? Where does our model of family come from right now? And if it's not from the Word of God, then where is it? Are we we grasping at different concepts or different constructs that we see in the world around us to try and give meaning or form what marriage is or what family is? Or are we looking to the Word of God? Because Paul's saying that right now there is a structure within family as they speak in Colossae, which is a little different to the family structure that God has designed for us and God has called us to live out of. And so we see that this comes to the, to, the, to the bottom of this chapter and then he goes on to speak about slaves, which I'm not going to do this week, but I will do next week and connect in with uh, chapter 4. But talks about the significance of Christian family in the church community. 
God's design and his creative order is through family. There is not one person that has come into this world that was not connected to family. They may have been rejected or adopted out of that family, yes, but, but every single person has come through the concept of family. And right now, family is under attack. Marriages are under attack. Parenting is under attack. All of these different things that, that we think, you know, they just may be abstract and disconnected. It's actually an attack on the design of God, the image of God, the creative order of God. It's an attack on God himself to, to dismantle, to, to break up, to destroy that which he has instituted. And so even at this time when, when Paul was writing to this church, this was taking place. It was being structured and organized in a way that was not the culture of God. And so he had to speak into this. We also see that family is incredibly significant in the church. It's looked at as upon, upon as uh, a way that God displays and propels the gospel. You see, earlier, if you were reading through Colossians, you would have seen that Paul spoke about the mystery. And he speaks about the mystery of Christ, which is now being revealed to you. The mystery of Christ in you. Connected to that is when he writes the letter to the Ephesians. And he speaks of marriage. And he says how this is the mystery of Christ and the church. It's revealed in this way. It's revealed like this. And we live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. And perhaps even the concept of family, marriage, all those things is difficult for you, for me, to, to comprehend, to, to dwell upon because of the brokenness, because of the things we've experienced in the past. But I want to encourage you, if you're in the room today, you're in a place where hope reigns where there is always hope there is no condemnation and so we cast aside the sin and the guilt the shame that perhaps we may feel and we look to Jesus and so in his creative order be it Christian or not Christian you belong to family family was distorted and broken through the curse of sin, through sin itself, it, it destroyed that, it, it, it marred that imprint of God in family. But then in Christ Jesus, that is to be redeemed. Everything is brought under his lordship, under his leadership. And then family is one of those aspects that is to be brought under his leadership, under his lordship. So he defines the way he has designed for a family to function. Are you with me? Yep. Six of us. Seven. So the verses that we're going to read today, and I'm going to focus on these, is verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. Let me read it again. Wives, submit to your husbands. No one please elbow anyone as I'm reading. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. 
Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. So here's the first thing I want to take out of this, and I want to bring this to us because I see it quite often. Vanessa, could you please bring me those hockey sticks? We see this quite often is that when we read Scripture or we find different passages of Scripture, we tend to turn them into weapons to use against other people. So I have my love and submit hockey sticks with me today. And what tends to happen is that when we read scriptures, we like to see other people in those verses, right? So when we read before in the start of Colossians, when he's talking about the sinful nature and he's talking about, you know, have nothing to do with sexual immorality or impurity or lust or evil desires and don't be greedy, you might be thinking about that other person around you who's greedy and you're thinking, oh, I hope that person reads Colossians 3 in their devotionals. Or you're thinking about that other person who might be lustful. But you know what? The first point of call when we come to the scriptures like this is not to point that at someone else, but is to hold it to ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to show us if that is in us. Because we are responsible for ourselves. We are responsible for what we do with the truth that God reveals to us. And so this is what can take place, particularly in marriage. And I'm going to read with from those first two verses first because they're connected. Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives. Never treat them harshly. Because this is what takes place. See it quite a bit. I could have got some volunteers for this, but I didn't want to get anyone in trouble. My wife, okay, well... The husband takes the scripture that says, wife, submit, and says, you're not submitting to me, you need to submit, and uses that scripture almost like a weapon. And then the wife takes the scripture that says, you're not loving me, you must love me, you must love me different, and uses that scripture like a weapon to tell him how he is not loving her. And what takes place is they create a war with the word rather than allowing the word to change their own internal reality. And so we get this constant fighting that can take place. When we take that scripture and we try to weaponize it or use it against someone else to break them down, to beat them down to what we think it should be. Okay? So here is the first thing I want to take, wanted to leave with us. Focus on making this your internal reality rather than your spouse's external responsibility. This is the starting point. Is that I start as a husband with the scripture that God directs to me, and I say, how can I make it an internal reality for me to love my wife? I'm less focused on what God says to her as a wife as I am to what God says to me as a husband because I am responsible for how I love her. You with me? Good. Because I could have lost you there. The same then goes for my wife who the word says to her, submit to your husband. So that is between her and God and how she internalizes that. And so I'm going to let her work that with God 
rather than trying to remind her every morning with my coffee, remember what Colossians 3.18 says. I'm going to let her internalize that rather than trying to weaponize it, rather than trying to use it. It's actually really interesting that the husband isn't told to tell the wife to submit, nor is the wife told to tell the husband to love her. There is, the, the, the Apostle Paul speaks to pastoral responsibility in Timothy and Titus to teach these things. And so here is something that I've seen. When the church abdicates the responsibility on teaching into these things, then we create space for weaponizing the scripture against one another. So that's why it's important for us to speak into these things. So let's start off with wives because that's a good place to start. And when I was preparing this, I thought, you know what? I'm retiring in like seven weeks, so... I'm poking stuff today. What are you going to do, sack me? (laughs) Praise Jesus. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, this is not something that is, you know, it can be twisted and distorted and manipulated and abused. And... In God's word and the God's ways, it is always a way of bringing life and blessing. So what is probably the, the issue for us is not actually God's word. It's the way that God's word has been twisted or used or uh, applied in the past. And so when Jesus comes to the earth, we see that he is actually one of the greatest liberators of women that walked the earth. Culturally going against the grain to include and involve women into the gospel. Standing up for, speaking on behalf of, working with, walking with. So God's word is not there to demean or diminish the value of a wife. In fact, it is to place in the proper place of context for blessing of God in his creative design and, and order to flow in their lives. And Jesus himself was the model of this. He modeled submission to the Father. And so we understand that when it, we're talking about biblical submission, we're talking about something that Jesus lived out, and that living out brought life. You with me? So wives... Submitting to your husbands as is fit for those who belong to the Lord is actually a very healthy thing. This is the way God has designed things to uh, be. We see also the connection in Ephesians 5.22. It says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, what's rising up as I'm preaching this? What's coming to the surface as we read this scripture? Culturally, our world will say, that is so old-fashioned. You can't say that anymore. That is is just uh, abdicating the value of a woman. And so then we redefine and we reposition and then we do things that actually do what 
we're claiming this does, which devalues the particular value that a woman brings. And so he says, submit yourself to your husbands. So what is submission and what isn't submission? Biblical submission, relational submission. Can we please put that up, Lockie, that this is what biblical submission, the word hypotasu, which means a voluntary yielding to come under the leadership of. And it was particularly used in military terms in the arranging of troops. It was about order. It was about coming under the leadership. And it was voluntary. Can we show that next one, Lockie, with what it is and what it isn't? What it is, it is volunteered by one. True biblical submission is a voluntary yielding of the will one to another. What it isn't, it's not demanded by another. I can't demand, it's not a wrestling match where I need to put you into submission. If you have to demand it of someone, it's not actually genuine heart submission. You with me? (laughs) What is it? It's a place of protection. It's coming under the umbrella of protection. It's being under the place of protection. What isn't it? It's not a position of inferiority. It doesn't mean that that person is inferior. It's not about their worth or their value. It's participation in mission. Even the, word, the English word submission, if you break that down, what do you have? Submission. It's a mission under. If we believe that family and marriage is a display of the gospel and to propel the gospel, then submission within the family is actually part of the mission. It's coming under. It's saying that my life is actually committed to the displaying of the gospel rather than seeking my own agenda. What is it not? It's not pointless subjugation, which means to come in and conquer something and make it totally irrelevant. That's not what this is. It's not subjugating someone. It's not what it is. What is it? It's liberation from self. It's coming under and allowing God to be in control. What is it not? It's not license for abuse. It's not license for abuse. Because you're supposed to submit to me means I can treat you however I want. No, because verse 18 doesn't exist without verse 19. And if that was ever the case, if there was ever an issue where a wife was being abused, then you need to come talk to me. You need to come talk to one of the pastors or elders of our church because that is what we are here for, to govern and oversee. Okay? You with me? Submission doesn't mean you just get to beat down, abuse, anything like that. It's actually part of working together in harmony for God's mission to display the gospel to this world and to move the gospel forward. And that's why we come back to Colossians 1 because we have to think... If my eyes are set upon him and he is the most important, then everything wants to flow under that. And I'm going to take whatever I need to do to make that the reality.
It also says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. So this is particularly for Christians. Well, how come it's not happening out there? Or it's not, that's not what we're talking This is how we live out the gospel. This is how we live out how God calls us to live. As I said before, it is a responsibility as well of not just the husband to enforce that, but we see in Titus that Paul writes and says, the older women must train the younger women to do what? To love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. So what are the older women Christian in Christian faith called to teach? These attitudes, these dispositions. How do you love your, your husband? How do you love your children? That is what we're called to, to perpetuate. Work in the homes, what does that mean? Well, remember that the home was a place of hospitality. The home was a place of, of ministry. And so it was to, to be in that place where our home is actually a place where people can come and witness the gospel in action, can witness love in action. All right, I'm getting a lot of stares from the women, so it's time to move on. I'm just going to pray for myself. Who's making the coffees after the service? It's enough for you guys to, to chew on. Because here is where the husbands are now spoken to. In verse 19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, let me make a point here that submission within marriage, even at that point in time, was, that was understood. That, that was normal. What probably wasn't was that the husband was actually called to love the wife, not to just possess her. Not to just have her as a piece of property. Marriages weren't necessarily worked the way that we work them today. A lot at this point in time were arranged based on political stances, political partnerships, social, economical partnerships. They were arranged. And so the wife was more of a servant than sometimes the slave. And so when Paul says to the husband, yes, she will come under your leadership, but you must love her, that's radical. That's revolutionary. The husband is actually called to lay down his life for the wife. And in husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So what's the measure of love? Christ and the way he loved, sacrificially, selflessly. You know, I, I, you know when, I love it when people, guys were like, yes, yeah, submit to my, me as the head. Do you know what it means that you're the head? It means you're the first one to die. It means you're the first one to lay down your life. 
This is a position of privilege, but great responsibility. And so here's the heart check. How am I loving my wife? How am I sacrificially, selflessly laying down my life? She's not a possession. She's not a servant. How am I loving her? This would have revolutionized and and, and been radical to that culture. Men, you are to love your wife just as Jesus loved the church. You want an example? You're unsure? Then look at what he did. Look at how he served. Look at how he died first. Look at how he gave his life. Held back nothing so that she would be loved. I mean, they're pretty big shoes to fill. But by the power of the Spirit working in us, he empowers us to live these things out. It says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. No elbowing again, please. Remember, we're looking at ourselves in this moment. Harsh treatment. Harsh words. Harsh behavior. Ouch. (laughs) Sometimes active and aggressive. Sometimes passive and aggressive. But our treatment of our wives as husbands actually matters to God. It matters to Him. Let me read from 1 Peter 3. It says, In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. This is how seriously God takes this. The one thing that we see could hinder your prayer is the treatment of your wife. Ouch. But as I said, with the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, the new life that we are now in, this is not a word of condemnation to us. This is to encourage us to live in the way that God has called us to. And then we see that the the, the family unit is that very thing, displaying the gospel to the world and propelling the gospel in the world, moving it forward. All right, now I'm getting stares from the guys. There's no kids in the room, so let's move on to children. No, before we do, treating harshly. I've had to you know, examine my heart in the way that I treat my wife, the way that I speak, the things that I would say. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, who sometimes taps me on the shoulder after I've said something, or after I haven't said something. Oh, thank you for the reminder. I have to go back and apologize. My big thing was stonewalling. Ever, anyone ever heard of stonewalling? Where you just kind of shut off and you use silence to punish someone? I don't want to talk to you. I had to sit with God about that. 
And I'm like, no, that's just what I'm like. Sorry, remember the other part of Colossians? Since you have a new life, you can't go back to that. Well, that's just who I was. That's just who I am. No, 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 you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So you have access to this. Now to ask God, how do I work through this? How do I communicate when I don't want to? That's part of loving your wife, isn't it? All right, now everyone in the room is staring at me. Let's get on to the kids. Verse 20. Can we bring the kids in from kids' church? No, leave them out. I'm sure you'll tell them about the message after, and it'll be this one verse. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. This pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents. My kids are in here. What? Was that strategic? <laughs> Let me just talk again about the marriage because this, this is actually important as it sets a tone for how children respond. If there is a vying for power, if there is a, a constant disharmony and disunity within parents, guess what kids learn? They learn more by watching and being in, in the presence of than they do by sitting at the desk and studying in those young years. And so obedience within children is actually modelled by parents. They understand. My kids are like other types of friends of Holy Spirit who tap me on the shoulder every now and then and say, hey, you told me you were going to do this, but you haven't done that. And so they're learning from this. And so when Paul's speaking, he's saying, create a, 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 a place where children can actually grow in the things of the Lord and learn obedience. Obedience is a learnt thing that we learn as it is modelled. And it is so important. I was reading some articles just this week about how you know, youth crime rates are, are just out of control. And how there's all of this disorder and craziness going on with young people right now. And the, you know what the papers are saying? Our government has no answer. And I thought, why should the government have an answer? Why are we abdicating responsibility for what is happening with young people to the government? The government aren't called to raise your children. Where is, where is the breakdown? Where is the failure? Where, where, is, where are we going wrong? It's not the government. It's the family unit. Absent fathers, broken it's all of these different things that are creating these issues. And then people are pointing the finger, well, the government needs to fix it. We've got to start in the home. And disciplining children. Teaching children what is right and what is wrong. Tending to their heart. Allowing God to bring conviction. Raising children is not something that we outsource. 
And we live in a, in, a, in a culture right now that outsources the discipleship and the raising of children. Kids Church is a resource for discipling our children. It is not the source. It shouldn't be the only time during the week when they hear the Bible, when they pray. We outsource education. We outsource childcare. And not that these things are all bad in and of themselves, but when they are to the abdication of discipling our own children, then we will reap what we sow. And we will see ungodly values developed in young people, even within the church. Ungodly attitudes. Can you see where I'm coming from with this? It's actually really important. And for children to learn that obedience is a good thing. To obey mum and dad is actually a really good thing. It's a really healthy thing. When it's done in the right way. When, when their hearts are in the right place. We want to give our kids the best opportunity to grow and know God. And that doesn't happen by just handballing that responsibility. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Let me move on to finish, and I'll come back to fathers. Oh, gee. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Do not exasperate, stir, provoke toward anger. Again, this is an instruction on discipline, on how we manage, on our attitudes toward our kids, and how we engage with our kids. I am a stirrer. I love jokes. But sometimes those things can actually stir the heart of a child toward anger or bitterness rather than toward God. And this is where we see that, that we want to live in such a way that would propel our children toward God, not repel them from Him. And so don't aggravate your children, stir them towards anger, the way that we engage, the way that we uh, discipline, the way that we speak, fathers. Let it be a way that communicates who God is not stirs bitterness in them toward him. Because ultimately that's what it's about. It's not about just making them angry with you. It's about them then taking on bitterness and rooting in their hearts that then causes disconnection from community. And yes, we're never going to get it all right. So once again, don't hear this as a, you've got to be perfect in this. But if you will live in accordance to God's word, and sensitive to his spirit, then he will empower us to be better examples of who he is in our families. And it comes back to that, to display and propel the gospel. So when Paul's writing to this community, he's saying right in the base, right in the heart of your community are these little communities. Right in the base and in the heart of your, your church are these little churches. These little families. And we want them to be as healthy as possible. 
We want them to display the glory of God, to be places of worship, to be places of following Jesus, so that this world sees not just the message that we preach, but sees the lives that we live and sees that we really do clothe ourselves with gentleness and we really do put to death those sinful desires and they're outworked on Monday evenings in our homes before they are on Sunday mornings in this building. That we live out the reality of the word that we believe and it shapes and defines and guides the way we do relationships. And it wasn't just pointed at the husbands and the wives in their place. This was important for the whole community to have an understanding of this and what it meant. That they wouldn't push others away from Jesus because of the way they lived. But people would be drawn to the reality of Christ by seeing Christ at work within his people. So, we all have a little bit of homework to continue to do. And guess what? It's not just the weekly homework. This is for the rest of our lives. This is the longest assignment you will ever have. But at the end of it, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. I want to pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for... We thank you for things that were written many, 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 many years ago that still speak into our day right now. Lord, we thank you that your word doesn't just um, make us feel good. It challenges our hearts. It shows up the areas where perhaps we have neglected. And it shows up the areas where we need so desperately your grace. And so, Lord, we thank you for your design of family. I pray that as Christians, we would not fight against that, but we would embrace it and that we would live it and we would receive the blessing that comes with that. May your church be a picture to this world of a God who is love. A God who is faithful. A God who is compassionate. And a God who is real. May our lives, even as Andrew said before, be set apart for your purposes. I'm not worried about what my neighbor's life looks like, what their marriage looks like, what their kids look like. Lord, our desire is for our lives to align to your word and to display your glory to this world. Because we know the world doesn't need more messiness. 
The world doesn't need more confusion. The world needs clarity. The world needs the reality of God. So we ask, Lord, in those places where we are, we are aware that perhaps we are struggling. And even those places where we're unaware, we ask that we would see your grace empower us to live this new life to live the reality of Christ in us and allow that to shape our families Lord I pray for everyone in this room today Lord I thank you for the courage and the posture of faith that is required to submit to your word And to live in that place. The faith that is required in you. I thank you, Lord. For the incredible women in our church. And Lord, we just pray your blessing over each one as they wrestle with the word today. And Lord, I pray for the husbands in this room who sometimes feel that we, we, we're not meeting the standard or not doing enough. Lord, would you encourage our hearts today? Help us to lift our eyes up, to not focus inwardly on ourselves, but to see what you can do in and through us as we soften and surrender ourselves to you. Pray for parents. Oh, Lord, I pray for parents. Pray for wisdom in how to raise children in such a weird time. I pray for wisdom and guidance in how to best tend to the hearts and to disciple their children. We pray also for the children of our church, Lord. Let them see the witness of Christ in us. And may they aspire to live and to follow Jesus as their parents, as their uncles, as their brothers, as the other people in our community do. We thank you, Lord, for what you're wanting to say and teach us. And my prayer in all of this is that we would display your life to this world and that we would move forward the gospel in power and in truth in Jesus name Amen Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church For more information about us or any of our services please visit our website at gracelife.com.au